Hello, late night listeners. Uh, this is Brian, and I wanted to let you know that we have a Patreon. It's a really fun thing. It's a great way to support the show, and it gets you access to all kinds of exclusive stuff. We have exclusive mini episodes. We have videos of me, for example, writing music for various things of the show. Leighton's doing all sorts of stuff, and it's just a really fun community. You also get access to our Discord if you sign up for our $5 a month tier or up. So uh, if you like the show and you like what you hear, please check us out over on Patreon. It's really a great way to to support us. Thanks so much, and enjoy Late Night with Brian Wecht. It's my Don Pardo impression. Dude, it is so great to talk to you. It's been so long. It has been a long, long time. It feels like lifetimes ago, and uh, I uh, hope uh, all is well in your world. And Leighton, I've never met you before, but it's good to uh, meet you audibly. I don't know what the right term is, but uh, what's up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like orally. Orally, okay. A-U-R-A-L-O-Y. Exactly. (laughs) There we go. Yeah, I think we met in passing like at the Grumps office like once, maybe. Ah, very good. I was just so transfixed in that uh, that amazing little layer. Actually, everything was in the midst of a move, honestly, but I still was yeah. like, oh my God, look at this spaceship of awesomeness. But uh, it was really cool. So we were just talking about the bright spot thing, Layton. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because Planet Booty, of course, gave a rather epic performance, as the kids say. The kids don't say that. Was, <laughs> was this the thing at the end? We did. We did a performance at the end, and we actually were in there as like a little. We were one of the live components. We played like the bit of call center where they kept like checking in, and uh, you know the, the bit was like they have landlines set up, but obviously it was a donation show online. So we had this whole running gag that as we were waiting there for calls, we started being like, "Whoa, bro, we vibe," and we were like, "We're joining a band," which is really <laughs> funny. But the funniest thing about it was like, because, you know, we're Planet Booty and we're proud of the community that we have. And but still to the outside world, we're very unknown. And people at the end were like, yo, this band's actually pretty sick. What are you dudes going to put its stuff on Spotify? Even And so it was funny to see that they actually thought we just spontaneously formed a band and uh, performed and stuff like that. So it was a it was a big it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. That's really cute. Yeah, it was super cute. I have some younger nephews that are uh, like 15 and, and 12. And uh, and so when I was like, hey, guys, I'm doing this little online show. Uh, check out this flyer. They like exploded out of their chairs. Like, oh, my God. Holy shit. Like they started like texting their friends. And I'm like, I don't know who any of these people are. I'm so old. But yeah, I'm totally cool. Yeah, absolutely. So it was awesome. You guys killed it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. That nephew street cred. <laughs> Oh, dude, I got the mad nephew street cred. Are you kidding me, man? I mean, shoot, what what else is there in the world? But uh, I was very jealous of Brian's mustache. It was amazing. Uh, his booty shaking was outstanding. And uh, you're, you're the whole concept of the TikTok, the news was well, it's awesome. Like, to be complimented on my mustache and my booty shaking by Dylan Charles Kermick is no mean feat. <laughs> so, like, where do I go from there? Like, I that's, mean, that's, you've, you've peaked. that's the pinnacle. We have to acknowledge, Brian, I f- literally forget if I sent this to you or not, but did you see Jack Black doing the WAP dance? No, I did not. Oh, hold on. Sorry. This is like mandatory. I can't believe I didn't already send this to you. Is Twitter down, mercifully? Did we get rid of it? Did we finally kill? Too many people are fleeting. Okay, so today, November 17th, 2020, is the day that Fleet debuted. Have you both seen this? 
Yep, I sure did. Dylan, do you know what a fleet is? Please embarrass me of my lack of knowledge of pop culture, please. Well, do you know how Instagram ripped off Snapchat? Yes. With its stories? Well, now Twitter ripped off Instagram with its fleets. So they are... Oh, yes. They are Instagram stories on Twitter. They're tweets with a ticking clock. I did hear about this. That's the tweet and the fleet. The Okay, very good. Yes. Um, Wow. All right, then. So I love how every couple of months Twitter's like... How do we make this worse? How do we make this a worse experience for our users? Listen, we know that you've been saying like, hey, maybe get rid of the Nazis or like fix the harassment problem or make it so I can actually see shit I care about. And they're like, um, introducing fleets. And now an even larger toilet bowl to defecate in. Oh, I love to swim in that toilet bowl of the internet. Everyone who's like, oh man, I wish tweets had an edit button. What the fuck are you thinking? Like, no. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Like, think about that, like, two steps further than just, like, Twitch should have an edit button. Yeah, it's asking for disaster. Now, maybe if they archived the older versions, maybe then. But even then, I you know, I feel like what you'd get is people would, like, retweet this thing. And then, you know, some troll would, like, edit it to say something awful. And then you're just in trouble. So, no, Twitch should not have edit buttons. No, not at all. All right, so let's see. Jack Black dances. I just saw the still image. That's all I really needed to see when saving the red speedo. Sweet Jesus, that's wow. I'm gonna need to take a second. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm getting I'm getting hot flashes. It is so beautiful. <laughs> wow. Yep. That dude brings it. What can I say? Yeah. Every time. Wow, that's actually pretty impressive. That's pretty good. Wow. His beard is so majestic. I know he has a line of like beard products. Yeah, beard lube, I believe he calls it. No, no. Right? Doesn't he? <laughs> Am I wrong? Gotta lube up that beard. I'm pretty sure he calls it Jack Black beard lube. <laughs> and that's a selling point for me. I mean, beard lube is, there's a lot of ways you can go with that and it's nice and ambiguous. So it's a good marketing ploy, if you ask me. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Beard wax seems like pretentious. I feel like that really brings it down to the people, really relates to the youths. Yes, indeed. Jack Black. I'm so reluctant to do these hot or not things, but I feel like we got to do it. It's a hot dude, right? I feel like it's a cornerstone of the late night podcast, you know? Yes. So is Jack Black hot? I would say yes. 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 On both fronts. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the just the complete, unabashed, raw sexual energies holding nothing back. I mean, that is yes. when you step into your supreme confidence like this, there's it doesn't matter who you are. That shit is hot. Yes, that is how you're hot. No reservations. Come on. Give it all to me. That's exactly right. And again, you are the expert of that, Dylan. That's what you do for a living. Oh, that's what I try to do. That's what I try to encourage others to do because look at you just this this video, Jack Black is that's all you need to know is that when you do this could be you. I mean, I, I wish you know everyone <laughs> listening right now could see what's going on. It was me. <laughs> it was it literally was you. And did you not feel your sexiest? And did you not get comment after comment about how hot you were? I'm just saying. The proof is in the pudding. You know what? I'm gonna say I did not see a lot of comments about how hot I looked. What? Doing that dance, I saw plenty of look at that dad. I saw <laughs> plenty of what a nerd. I'm sure a lot of Brian know 
This is cringe. <laughs> yeah, oh, a lot of cringe. But like, listen, folks, if there's one thing I can impart, if we're going to learn one thing from 2020, other that like, I don't know, universal health care should be a thing and universal mm. basic income, blah, blah, blah. Mm. Embrace the cringe. Like, accept freedom. That's yes. It. Episode title, Embrace the Cringe. Embrace yeah. the cringe. Well, that's like, you know, sort of like talking about editing Twitter, for instance, even just like having that bit of you have to stand by what you do, stand by who you are, this whole self-editing process that we have, the filters that you can put on an Instagram video. It's like that keeps us further from who we are and, and kind of keeps this idea about everyone's perfect or, you know, if you have something that's perceived as different or a defect that all of a sudden you're outside of the crowd. It's really what all brings us together. So that's why I say step into your full self, Jack. Black, give me what's in that speedo and shake it in front of my face. I'm being too loud. <laughs> That's fine. If you're going to be loud about something, it should be about Jack Black's ass. Okay, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I like that he's done the thing that 50-ish year old male comedians typically do, which is grow a big fucking beard. Like I've noticed a lot of people around his age, he's like 50 or so, and he's a little over. Um, but David Cross did this. A lot of his contemporaries when you get to 50, I'm, of course, confronting this now as a 45-year-old. You're going great, a lot of us. And you can, like, lean into it or lean out of it. And some people lean in real hard by just being like, here's my beard. And this is what it looks like. And i got to respect it. I mean, you, you end up, like, leaning harder into the Silver Fox thing works. There are so many people who are, like, you know, late 20s, mid 30s, hot. But then, like... You reach a point where they've matured like a fine wine, like a Kyle McLaughlin per se. Mm -hmm. Very hot man. Have you guys seen his videos of him like tending his tomato garden? Yes, we, we talked about this, I believe. Uh, <laughs> oh, earlier. yeah. Yeah. B big old Kyle McLaughlin stands on this podcast. That's beautiful. It opens up so many possibilities that lets you lean into things that, you know, you might not have an opportunity to do or people accept otherwise. I mean, I'm looking at this Jack Black video and, you know, something like a bolo tie or a cowboy hat or whittling a stick. Like you can see that that just comes more naturally with a nice fierce beard like that or just being like, you know, you don't have to even say much. You can just kind of look at someone and be like, yep. I don't know. Something with a powerful grizzly beard like that. I feel that carries a lot more weight or something. So I just... I'm all about it. It has strong energy. Yeah. yeah. Like if I could grow a large gray beard, yes. like I would absolutely do it. it. It's just such a vibe. Well, for me, it has strong pissing off my wife energy. <laughs> Rachel is fine with facial hair, but a large beard is categorically out of the question if I value her happiness, is what I've been told. <laughs> which, hey, fair enough, which I do, by the way. And I'm sure if I really felt the need to do it, I could do it. But why bother? Why cause problems? You know, it's true. It might not just be a physical sort of appearance thing. Beards are dirty. They're like giant Petri dishes of like discarded pieces of food. And like, you know, yep. little, I'm sure like more things get caught up like spittle and snot and stuff. It's, so it's just a more probably a hygienic thing. It's probably good for the family. It's good for just your personal health. And so she's really probably just looking out for you more than anything else. So, you know, maybe if you introduce her to the Jack Beck loop. Uh, no, let me just say you're totally wrong about that. It is not about my personal health. Uh, she just hates the way it looks and thinks it's, it's it's not a good look for me. She's not like categorically against big beards, but she does not feel like it's the right look for me. And you know what? I have to agree with her. Okay. I feel like it would be a, an odd choice for me personally. I feel like the handlebar is like a very true expression of Brian Wecht. Yeah, because 
it's fine, and generally other people don't like it. And that's kind of what I'm going for. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't that the thing, though? You find yes. the thing that you know other people aren't into, but you like it. So it's just like, yeah, this is my thing. Fuck you. I will continue to be very into this, and you can be into it or not. But, like, I don't really give a shit because your opinion of it doesn't affect me. That's right. You know, actually, Rachel's opinion of that handlebar mustache was kind of the opinion I go for, which is, huh, that's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, which is my sweet spot for creating entertainment. That is really, that says it all right there. Could have been worse. Yeah. (laughs) Outstanding. So, Dylan, I want to hear about that baby of yours. For those of you who don't know, Dylan has a very, very awesome, nearly two-year-old son named Marlon. Great name. Thank you. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be joined by Marlon on our European tour, as well as many other NSP slash Planet Moody gigs. How many dates did he come? It was like four or five, something like that. He was on a good portion of that giant Chicago show, and then he was all the way through London, or Edinburgh was probably the last one. So yeah, four or five or or more. And uh, he was a trooper, man. I honestly didn't know how it was going to go. My favorite part was like, uh, we showed up to the airport with him and no one really knew that he was coming with. And I remember being like, I joked with you and Danny being like, ah, we probably, we're going to be right by you guys. Don't worry. Like, wink, wink. <laughs> and we literally were sitting right behind you guys. I was like, son of a bitch. Oh, I was so happy. <laughs> I love babies. And he was still a baby at that point. He was. And having a baby around just made me so happy, especially since I couldn't be near my own kid. And just having this happy little guy who was watching his dad play and bouncing around to music. And of course, I couldn't really see him during the show that much, but I saw him a lot backstage. It was just awesome to have him there. It sounds like your baby fucking parties. He's like, dude is dude is fucking righteous, bro. No, he he, he loves he loves the lights and he loves the sounds. And at the time, he couldn't really say anything, so he just be like and sort of shake and convulse <laughs> with all the lights and the sounds. And uh, I think it really left a, a wonderful impression upon him. Honestly, the other day, actually, I was going through my closet cleaning stuff out and I pulled out, I had this like, one of the costumes I had was this uh, space like matador sort of outfit that I wore. And he just unprompted, I pulled it out and he just goes, booty, booty, booty. So I, th- I think it, it, it left a mark on his soul for better or for worse. But uh, he was the proud recipient of uh, Brian, as you know, is an incredible father. And he absolutely gave that baby a sense of joy and care and uh, welcome comfort, you know, feeling like he was a part of like a just, you know, because we were going new places every single day. Like there's no such thing as a nap schedule and all these different elements. Time zones. And yes. Everything. Train rides and stuff. And so like Brian would just be like this big, happy, warm face that he would see at every stop. And honestly, I've told Brian before, but when this news of this child coming into this earth descended upon me and my partner, it was definitely unexpected. And it was like, Oh my God, how are my dreams going to continue? And like (laughs) seeing Brian uh, be the dad that he is, be as connected as he is and be as successful as he is really just gave me hope and, uh, and sort of almost like a template of like, Hey, you can do this and do it well. So uh, I've got a lot of gifts that tour, but that was certainly, certainly one of them. Oh dude, that is so kind. Thank you. Thank you so much for saying that. It was a gift to me to have a happy baby, a happy baby to play with backstage. <laughs> this is a good opportunity to introduce ourselves real quick so we can give some context here, although I think people can pick up on it already. So everyone, this is Layton. Hi, that's me. The podcast that you're listening to is Layton Night with Brian Wecht. Yep, and I am Brian Wecht. Mystery guest, would you care to introduce yourself? 
Yes, I would love to introduce myself. I have the honor of being here. My name is Dylan Charles Germick. I am of the band named Planet Booty, but I am a happy friend of Mr. Brian Wecht and the whole Game Grumps community. Uh, it's, I don't know how we found our way to all you guys, but that's what found me here and talking on this wonderful program. So hello, everybody. Hello uh, to all those people that uh, I call my friends and family. Thank you for everything. It's a joy to have you here and a part of this extended family, which is really what it is. Yeah, seriously. NSP, we found Planet Booty through Twerp. Dylan, you may know, a certain gentleman known as uh, Josh Cantero was on this Mm -hmm. podcast uh, Mm -hmm. a few months back. We may have told this then, (laughs) but Twerp was lucky enough to get paired with you guys at a gig and then immediately fell in love and introduced you to us. And then we fell in love and then it was just like off to the races. And since then, anytime NSP has done a tour, it's been with Twerp and Planet Booty. We've played on each other's tunes. There's just a lot of mutual love going around. So it's been a joy to be a part of that with you. Wow. I'm feeling the love today. This is beautiful. That's what we're all about here. A lot of bromance. I've told Dylan this. I don't know if I talked about it with Josh. I think I told all all three of the booty guys about it. But I, so I will always try to watch uh, the Planet Booty set. It's harder to watch Twerp because they're on right before us. Usually the order is Booty, Twerp, NSP. So I'll always try to watch the booty set if I can. And I can't even tell you how many times watching Planet Booty, you know, from like backstage or side of the stage or whatever, I've just been standing there tearing up like legitimately crying because of how, like what a beautiful and positive thing it is that, that you guys do. I mean, it really like on multiple occasions, it's not just like once, but it's, it's all these emotions of, I love this, this message of positivity and body positivity and everything that, that you guys put so central to your music. And also what, what you just said, which is how did I get so lucky to be around such wonderful people? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 on multiple occasions, I have had to excuse myself to go <laughs> dab in my eyes. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll tell you, like, I cried because I'm like, what the hell did we do bringing these people on here? He's in his veto. <laughs> God damn it. There's the 10 year old in the front row. Now, but uh, it's no secret, I'm sure, to everyone in the audience that uh, is listening and to everyone that has any wisp of knowledge of you, Brian, that how wonderful of a, a person you are. But in the world of music, and trying to be something and trying to, uh, you know, become, a, you know, known that, you know, when I imagined we were small and we're still small potatoes, but when we were just starting out, like thinking of, okay, maybe we'll meet a band and go on tour with them one day and we'll kind of get an audience. Or like a perfect example for me is like, I love Prince. And so there's the, the movie Purple Rain. And yeah. I don't know if any of you guys seen it, but there's this whole duality between Morris Day and... The- wait, wait, hold on. Uh, stop for a second. Are you legitimately asking if I've seen Purple Rain? Sorry. Legitimately <laughs> ask? Come on. I'm glad you're not near me because I know you would have just chopped me in the throat right now. And that would have been <laughs> acceptable. But the idea of like, you know, doing competing bands, you know, the Morris Day and the Time versus Prince and the Revolution or like this competitive feeling of like, oh, you guys think you did well? Like, oh, wait till you see. Oh, you thought that was awesome. But I've never been in a more nurturing and positive environment. And like everyone is rooting for each other. 
I just couldn't imagine that that sort of inclusive and nurturing situation could exist inside the music industry where like, you guys literally are on stage like, we want you to have this audience. You're like, hey, audience, isn't Planet Booty awesome? They're going to be super huge one day and like whatever. Like that makes me tear, like literally like crying in the backstage. Like this is amazing. They could easily just be like, look at these fools running around in their sparkle underwear. Aren't they a little clown show? But no, like you guys really try to raise us up and you make us feel like we are stars and it's super special. Well, thank you for being a part of it. That audience in general, I have to say, really positive crowd. Yeah. And Leighton, I don't know what your experience is in, in art and the stuff you've done, but I have seen, actually, just because of the weird outsiderness of what we do, very little, you know, asshole competition, competitive, alpha-y types. Generally, the people I find myself around are, are like what you're talking about, which is just like a rising tide lifts all boats. Let's all succeed together kind of stuff. At least for me, like within the Grumps extended universe, uh, it's just like, I've never felt so like creatively and emotionally supported, you know? Yeah, totally. It's a very special thing. And I remember before I moved out here and like before I was in the industry or whatever, I was just like, man, I hope someday I can find a group of people that I feel like really comfortable with and who it's just everybody supporting each other and whatever they're doing and like, you know, found it. And I just feel... So lucky. I think a big part of that is Aaron. Yeah, yeah. Not not to get too inside baseball, but Aaron is the driving force behind, and really Brent too, to a very large extent, behind all this. You know, Aaron has very deliberately crafted a thing where he can support people in a way that everybody benefits. And it's, it's really a testament to what he's built through Grumps and continues to foster that stuff like Dream Daddy, like NSP, like any of the other stuff that Grumps has done exists and continues to thrive because he's, I mean, maybe one of the most generous people I have ever met. And honestly, same goes for Brent too. Brent Brent likes to come across like he's a stingy (laughs) a-hole, which (laughs) he might be mad at me for saying this, could not be further from the truth. Yeah, he is such a (laughs) softy. This was going to be one of my peaches, but I had like a distanced like deck hang with Aaron and Susie and Brent. It was just the most like good vibe. I mean, every time, like it's truly like not just the creative support. It's like Aaron and Susie are the most like generous, loving, like hosts, as I'm sure you know, Brian, like anytime you're over at their place, they're just like, it's really wonderful. I mean, it really just feels like it, it truly does feel like a family. And like, you know, I've been to their place for Thanksgiving and stuff. And it's just like such a healing and wonderful and special thing that like, I don't know. I, I try to articulate it to them just like how much I truly like deeply appreciate it, like deep in my shriveled little heart. But yeah, it's a very special thing. It's wonderful to know that their model for success, it seems a very intentional objective to foster that feeling amongst everyone, to find people of that sort of like mind of inclusivity and support and just a good natured, good hearted I know Brent more than I know Aaron. I've only met Aaron in passing. And uh, Brent, he's got like the CEO brain, marketing brain kind of yes. situation. Like, you know, he literally has a cigar in his mouth every once in a while. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> But uh, of course, he wants numbers and he wants success and he wants to grow. And that's a big part of what he thinks. But he 
couples that with that idea of positive, good feeling and just sort of just the heart of it all is a big part of it. And it's awesome to see that actually is successful. It can be successful, that things don't have to be so cynical or things have to be so shrewd or, or so hard and to really make it in, in the world. So. Yeah. All of Brent's like business savvy, especially is so like in service of helping the people that he cares about be successful. Yes. Like totally. it's just the kind of thing. It's like all these people, I am so grateful to have them in our corner and like mutually to be in their corner. Like making things is like life's greatest pleasure and being able to make things with people who you admire and respect and like help them make their shit happen is just like... Whew, that's that's the closest thing we got to magic, baby. <laughs> yes, yeah, indeed. and I, I gotta say too, like I don't want to get too in the weeds with this, but no one gets shit on more than Aaron. Oh yeah, I was like <laughs> skating around this, like I wasn't sure if I wanted to actually say it. No, I I, I want to say it. I want to say it out loud. I do not understand the level of hate that one of the kindest, most generous people I have ever met gets online. It's just like presuming. People know everything about the business and the decisions that are being made. And people don't know jack shit about what's going on behind the scenes. It's wild because you read it and it's all these people with the utmost confidence being so absurdly wrong. It's like, what fictional reality have you created? Yeah. Really nothing spices me like that shit. And especially towards Susie, who is like such an incredible, empathetic, compassionate, hardworking, creative person who's just like so giving and kind and has been through so much shit and is just such a strong person. And like, I don't get it. Man, it just fucking bums me out. If these people could use even a fraction of the energy they use to like chronically shit on these people they know nothing about to like better themselves and like better emulate these people who are just like, Fucking wonderful. God, I... Uh, we don't need to belabor the point. No, we don't. We're obviously not going to get into any specifics, but let me just say that this is an enduring source of puzzlement for me, is how these really, really great people can get so much negativity directed at them. And I guess the answer is because they're on the internet. Yep. Yes. End of story. So I was going to switch it from negativity to positivity, because Dylan, you may be the most positive person I have ever met. <laughs> it's very rare we do like interview style questions but i do want to ask like how do you in the face of all the bullshit that has been going on this year have you struggled to maintain this attitude or how have you maintained the attitude answer either or both of those yeah questions. no it's so much horrible shit going on but you keep it going how, how does that happen i will be candid and honest to say that for the first time in my life, really, honestly, there's a lot of things that have been happening. I've always had this ideal that like things will turn out for the best, just or that given enough love, given enough determination and focus to head towards that direction. And that goes on a macro and micro level, a personal to a societal level, that things will turn out for the best. And, and things have stacked up to a point during this year where we were talking about the fires earlier before we came online and or just uh, political dynamics or just during the pandemic, just seeing how something that has affected everyone and some people extraordinarily hard that we as people have found it so difficult to collectively come together that it has been like, wait, I don't know what's going to happen after this. But, but, but I will say that I am so blessed in my life to have been raised in a family, though very troubled at times, 
My parents had a divorce, and a nasty one at that. And there's been trials and tribulations in my life that are associated with many things. But I've got three brothers. I've got a sister. You know, I found this band that I have. My friends, Rob and Josh, and, you know, the partner that I have and Sam. And just through my life, I've had the good fortune of being around people or just meeting people since I try to have a shiny disposition that there is light inside of everyone. I know that there's goodness inside of everyone. I've always been a weird, loud, strange cat. Uh, I've always uh, (laughs) put on funky outfits and done weird wiggly dances in front of various (laughs) groups of people. But for whatever reason, you know, I've had older brothers that have put me on stages while they're performing. I've always just been encouraged to just be who I am. And that in turn has made me look at most of the world, no matter what someone might be going through, no matter what the world might be going through, I know that we all want the same things. We all want to be happy. We all are happy at times. You know, that's why I love music so much. That's why I love to dance so much because those things are ubiquitous across every type of culture, every type of people. And even if we can't understand each other, I can wiggle my butt around and we can both smile about it. (laughs) That's universal. And so it has been a struggle more than it has ever been. I'm in a very privileged position. I'm not worried about what I have to eat or how I'm going to pay my rent necessarily, those things like that, that doesn't factor into the equation. So I I had to put that out there. And, you know, I look how I look. I'm the color that I am. I'm the man, all those things. A lot of things going in my favor as far as societally speaking. But I know that despite all of that aside, I and you and anyone that you can meet, like we all want to do better and be better and we want to feel love and we want to give love. And so I have to cling on to that. Otherwise I will be in a yes. dark hole in a puddle, but I just in my bones for whatever reason it is. And I attribute it to the way that I was brought up and the people that I'm around that were around me, even through hard times. Like that's the thing. Like I know what it's like to have tears in your eyes and still laugh at something that's absurd about like what's happening or like, or being like, wow, look at my situation. It's so fucked up. And then be like, someone just busted out a fart noise. I've had those experiences on top of each other. Sometimes in the darkest times, you find like the littlest flicker of light that means everything. And I just believe that that's ever present and it's unextinguishable in humans. It's going to cause the world to blow up and has to like be eviscerated for all hope to be lost. Because as long as there's life, there's love. And as long as there's love, there's hope. God, that's beautiful. Yeah. On the note of like having that little ray of that you somebody farts and blah, blah, blah. I... <laughs> I'm going through like tough shit from a bunch of angles right now. And last night I was having a pretty low one and I took my dog for a walk and I was like trying not to burst into tears as I was walking. Like I was really getting to that point. And then this guy walks past me. He's like foot away. We're like by an alley immediately whips out his dick and starts pissing (laughs) (laughs) with like the velocity of a busted fire hydrant. (laughs) He wasn't pissing at me. I didn't actually see his dick. I just heard the dick come out. (laughs) Okay, great, great. Just making sure. Just intense pissing. And I started laughing, inconsolably laughing the entire way home. Like I could not take it. It was killing me. Um, and I didn't end up crying. So it was, it, it worked out. <laughs> Today, Audrey like smashed her toe and like basically closed a door on it, essentially. I did that as a kid. It peeled my entire big toenail back. <laughs> yeah. So she smashed this door into her toe and started wailing. 
you can see the bruise. She and Rachel bruise very easily. I guess it's just genetic. I don't really bruise, but like, you know, either one of them, like they bump themselves on a table and it's suddenly a black and blue mark. And so she was just wailing, just standing there wailing. And she went, I used to be happy. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, oh man, Audrey, I I get it. I get it. Yeah. And then the great part about kids, and Dylan, you can attest to this, is like 30 seconds later, they've moved on and they're on to the next thing. You just distract for a second, and then they're basically over it. Absolutely. Well, Layton, with your stories, first, I'm glad it wasn't some seedy shit, because that sounds like, oh, God. Yeah, that's where I thought it was going. Oh, God, no. It's funny that the universe provides that sometimes, and that's not always the case. Like, sometimes you just get shit on and shit on, and it's like, when's this going to fucking end? And there's no really answer to that and, and answers to why. But to be receptive to those moments, and like, because you could easily be like, what the fuck? This guy's pissing all over the place. Like, fuck this. But like to have that moment of levity and like the universe is kind of like just giving you a little nudge or something like that. Like sometimes the universe does provide those moments. Yeah. I'm not religious, but I always call them God winks. I had them on the way to the pissing man. Like I was just, you know, like really ruminating and like trying not to cry. And I was like, thank God I have a mask on because my mouth is doing like a full on wobble. Um, But there was a zine that was like pinned to a tree that I just saw from a distance, big text stumbling along and I got closer and it has the little like subheader, the anthology of nothing in the collapse of civilization. But the best part is it's a little like weird creature smoking a bong on it. And so I took it off the tree and I was like, wow, wherever this ended up, like this ended up being what I needed right now. And it's like full of poems and stories and stuff. That's awesome. I feel like I don't see many things. I mean, it might be where I am. I'm in such suburban LA that it's very like family oriented. I feel like I haven't seen a good weird thing on a telephone pole for a long time now. Oh, that's my entire neighborhood. I mean, like, so that dude pissing on the sidewalk, I regularly see people taking a fat dump in the middle of the sidewalk. Like it no longer phases me. I was walking to get coffee and this like kid walked past me and he was like, hey, up the street, you might want to avoid that side. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And he was like, I just saw a street rat. And I was like, (laughs) okay, yeah, thank you. Thank you, child. And it was like, I was expecting this kid to be like, oh, there's a dude with a knife. Like, because I used to have that terrible citizens app that gives you the like notification if there's like the police have been called. And it used to be like, literally my favorite one I ever got was man hurling trays at customers in McDonald's parking lot. (laughs) Wow. Um, I mean, you, Dylan, you, you've been in Oakland for a long time and Oakland has changed a lot over, you know, the last whatever. Yes. It's a constant cauldron of change. Yes. Well, geez, I mean, I I lived in Oakland and then uh, I worked in the mission for like a decade's time. So yeah, like seeing someone's package jingling around, like just, oh, there's a naked dude and his balls. Awesome. Or like seeing someone just taking fat shit in front of you. I worked at a semi-swanky brunch spot and it's just awesome to see people drinking their like $18 mimosas, like literally just trying not to stare at the dude taking his shit right in front of them on the sidewalk. (laughs) I'm no stranger to that at all. I also want to just touch back again, Brian, about what you said about Audrey and just the kids and how they are just to kind of tie the loop together about having hope and stuff. And I know that Audrey is especially a joyful child and Marlon, my boy, he's a big ball of light himself. But the one thing, having a child and thinking about every human being that ever was being a kid, they started out as this like small, defenseless, little grub milk worm 
and this like, but like smile and laugh at like a smile right back. And like, yeah. that's what gives me hope. But it also at the same time is what makes me wonder, like, how the hell do we ever get off track? And be like, fuck that person. Or like, these people suck. Or like, we ever get to that yeah. point? Because like, in the end, we are just those little things. And just like those kids, we just want to smile and be happy. And we want to be distracted and have those little fun moments and stuff. But, uh, you know, anyway, I just, I just wanted to touch upon that. But now I can't think of anything but dudes in the mission taking big fed <laughs> Going back to the like, imagining people as children, I feel like there is also a certain amount of like required compassion for like, you know, a lot of people have the privilege of having like fully joyful childhoods and like for people who extremely did not get to have that, like if people would just be more empathetic and aware and compassionate about like how your childhood molds your brain for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like the more I've gotten into like self-help and like a decade of therapy and like all that shit and unpacking my own like large amount of childhood trauma, like you understand others better. And it's like, especially on the internet, it's never really about you, right? It's always about them. And like, you're projecting onto this thing that you view as a source of, I don't know, ire or hatred or whatever, because that's how you're sorting through your own shit. And all you're really doing is you're externalizing those negative feelings. And like, when you could be dealing with them and be a happier person by just like confronting it instead of blaming everybody else for your problems. Yeah, that is such a knock it out of the park point. Well, for one, that's why it gets so confounded about our inability to just be a collective as a people and to, to look out for each other and to make sure that we can set the conditions where we can all have somewhat of a more just and equitable system or whatever. But look at my kid and yeah, he's dancing around and listening to Prince and James Brown and stuff. And just think about how kids are like the trauma and the fear or the hurt or the violence of living in Oakland and, and knowing the neighborhoods that are all around. You don't have to like go anywhere. You can see what kids have to deal with to, to survive. And that just fucking breaks my heart so hard. Oh yeah. To think that a kid to be afraid. Ah, anyway, so good point, Layton. I think about that a lot with Audrey. It's just our job is stability. That's it. Yeah, however we can provide that for her, that is the most important foundation. And everything else will come from that. Yeah. I guess we're getting real. I get real emotional seeing like a child like Audrey or other children who are like in such a like loving and supportive environment. Not to say that I wasn't in a loving, supportive environment, but like seeing kids who were the ages that I was when I was going through just like insane shit, like fucks me up so bad of just like, I think me and a lot of other people who like suffer from complex PTSD or like, you know, suffered abuse as a child, whatever. Like it's so easy to blame yourself because it's like as a psychological defense mechanism, it is easier to internalize the blame than accept that the people who are taking care of you are flawed. And so it, it becomes a lot of like, denying it or being like, oh, well, I was in the wrong. And then like you see, you know, a nine-year-old and you're like, oh my God, you are so small and innocent. And at the time, at that time, I felt like a fully formed adult because of the weight of the shit I was dealing with. Yeah. And like, I don't know anybody listening, if you've dealt with that shit and like, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm going through right now is very much just like trying to grapple with my life up until this point. And um, it feels trite and stupid to say like, you're valid, ooh, ooh. But like, <laughs> it's a really difficult thing to carry. And like, yeah. you know, everyone's starting this race of life. And when you've had those kinds of experiences, it's just like getting shot in both feet and then being expected to perform to the same level of everyone else. Yeah. 
especially right now, it's hard and like having to be isolated and like psychologically being isolated for this long and having this like societal governmental like gaslighting is so triggering, whether you're aware of it or not. Like it puts you back in that like emotional flashback of feeling like a small, helpless child. Dare I ask which gaslighting of the many? (sighs) All of them. them. Smorgasbord. Yeah. All of the gaslights. But, you know, it is especially so like heartbreaking right now where like the level of lack of empathy and just like spite and hatred is so apparent when it's like, this is the time where all of these things where we should be taking care of each other. Like it is so plainly exposed, like these major flaws and like lack of understanding of each other and like refusal to engage with the needs of others and like see others, like especially with the internet where it's like the internet is the greatest tool we have ever had for connection and communication and empathy and compassion. And like any tool, it's like a hammer. You can use a hammer to like build something or you can use a hammer to smash someone's fucking kneecaps in. And so many people choose to smash other people's kneecaps in because they refuse to fix their own broken kneecaps. Like they just want everybody to hurt as much as they are. And the people overseeing the internet right now, the you know <laughs> big techs, have decided that controversy and division is better for them. Because money. Absolutely. It is a purely capitalist point of view. And it's extremely, extremely destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to fucking go off, but... No. No, it's great. During my years and thinking of all the fault lines of our abilities as a society to take care of one another, I was always like... Maybe it's just going to take some extreme calamity that like, <laughs> you know, totally brings us all to rubble to be like, oh shit, we should all build this back better. And I'm like, what the hell is it going to take? What else do we freaking need to see uh, to, to show like the pain and the hurt and the disparate resources and all that stuff that we need to bring together to help everyone? One thing I feel like I keep needing to emphasize, and it's hard to feel this way, is that generally speaking, Let's take COVID as an example. Most people are on the same page about COVID. There are some, you know, extremists that just don't think it's a thing, et cetera, right? There are some people who have very extreme views. But if you just break it down by political party, the vast, vast majority of Democrats are, for example, pro-mask wearing, but a pretty significant majority of Republicans are too. So I think it's important to understand that a lot of the really sucky stuff is done by a very small fraction of the population. And that's something that gives me a little bit more hope. Yeah. But it is also important to realize that most people, if you met them, would be like, of course I wear a fucking mask. I'm not stupid. Yeah. But with what you said with like tech, they benefit from promoting the extremist shit. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Even just looking at YouTube algorithmic stuff where if you're like, oh, hey, I see you watch one video about like gender theory. Do you want to watch like some very, very hateful person spout some bullshit, you impressionable young child. Yeah, that's a real problem. (sighs) It's heartbreaking. And I mean, I guess you're saying this, Brian, and I agree with you of like most people are in that center, but especially in terms of like personally staying positive for people who are not within, you know, a Los Angeles, very liberal bubble. I know so many people right now who are stuck in like a small town in Kansas or whatever, where nobody's wearing masks, Trump flags are everywhere. And like, for those people who don't get to experience and only see the window of the world through like, let's say Twitter, where it's all you see of the rest of it is like this extreme 
shit. It's so easy to imagine that that's how everywhere else is. And it's just so isolating and you feel more alone. And I know this because I've been in that situation where your window to the world is like skewed social media view and it becomes so easy to like lose faith in everyone and by proxy lose faith in yourself. And like the one person who is always, always, always going to be there for you is you. Is Jack Dorsey. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I'm going to say the only person who will ever be there for you is Tom from MySpace. Okay. <laughs> oh, damn. Yes. Good take. Good take. Right now. Yeah, exactly. It's like Tom is all eight of your top eight. <laughs> you were on MySpace, right? You were old enough to be... I was not... The cool girls were on MySpace, and I was afraid of them because they were on MySpace. <laughs> Dylan? I was a latecomer to MySpace. I, for a long time, I treated social media as this like thing where I just kind of was like, this is stupid, but now I have to slay my soul to the social media beast because I'm trying to be a thing. I did it for a while, and I remember Top 8 and all that stuff. That was a thing, but I was like, this is dumb, but now I'm like, this is life. It's not life, but uh, you know, I have to sacrifice my soul to it. I feel like the heyday of MySpace was like, I'd say like 2003 to 2008, somewhere in there, something like that. That sounds about right. Yeah, that's about it. Social media has this thing where, I mean, I don't know if this is still the case, but it was at least true in the 2000 to 2010 range where it kind of moved through socioeconomic circles in different ways. So for a while, Facebook was like a fancy thing, right? Because it started as a college thing and at Harvard. I remember this period of time when MySpace was like less shishi than Facebook. And then now Facebook, enough people are on it that Facebook is not the fancy thing. I don't know if there is a fancy thing right now, which is why I say this maybe doesn't work as well as it used to. No, we're all rolling around in the gutter together. (laughs) Yeah. We're forming like a veritable rat king of I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And now, of course, there's parlor or whatever bullshit is going on over there. But it doesn't seem at the moment to me like there is a upper class, for want of a better term, social media thing. Is that true? I can't think of anything. A highbrow social media platform? Yeah, not even highbrow, but... This is the classy one? Or just to use one metric like it was with Facebook, more college-educated people are using it or something like that. I don't think there is. This sounds like a nightmare, actually. I think there's an inherent stratification along the ley lines of late-stage capitalism that yeah. quickly becomes apparent immediately with so much social media that like, yes. any sort of restricted community or anything, like that is the true rub of social media. You're making it for people and to connect people, but there is the inherent messiness of connecting people. Why don't we just segue into the segments? So, Dylan, you said you heard the episode with Josh earlier? I did. So, do you know about our pop culture segment, What's Poppin'? I've been educated and I, I know somewhat about it. The real question I, I want to ask you is, do you know about the theme song to What's Poppin'? I'm going to get a reintroduction to this, please. Oh, okay. Dude, <laughs> get ready. <laughs> so, What's Poppin' is our pop culture recommendation segment, as I've said. And the segment is fine. We can all agree we like the segment. No one's arguing that. The theme song is what really stands out about this. Because the theme song, as you know, we are both musicians. And as a musician, I took it upon myself to write the theme song. Excellent. To what's popping. And I wanted to make it, and I mean this, very, very good. Like, <laughs> exceptional. Next level good. And I did it. <laughs> 
Leighton knows that I don't like to usually belabor the introduction to what's popping. I usually like to get right into it and and not mess around. Brian, real quick, I'm going to light a candle in honor of what's popping. It's a nice salted caramel scent so that I may cleanse the air of this fucking horse shit, but continue. Normally I get right into it, but because you're a musician this week, just this week, I wanted to extend the introduction a little bit, give you a little context. Thank you. So what I'm going to do for you right now is I'm going to play you this amazing theme song and i want your your immediate reaction quench my thirst for greatness oh believe me i'm about to dump a big old fucking bucket of water on your head bro so here we go i'm playing the theme song right three two I swear to god two and a half oh god oh god oh god one give it to me one half. Oh shit. <laughs> One quarter. Oh man. Now. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? All right. And that's it. So <laughs> I didn't hear anything. Fuck. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> <laughs> sweet smell of both victory and salted caramel is wafting through my apartment. I thought it was like more like, you know, how dogs can hear certain pitches. Like I, th- I thought maybe like my realm of greatness that it was just, I can't pick up on it. My ear is just not able to uh, register those frequencies. It's just too good. As is usually the case, that is in- indeed the bit that nothing was played. And as is usually the case, uh, it did not work. Oh, which is par for the course at this point. Listeners, is anybody keeping track of what the official tally is? Because I'll maintain this list if somebody would be so kind to his compile. There is no chance it works more than it doesn't work. No chance. Of course, but I personally need the satisfaction. I need <laughs> listeners to to pet my ego. <laughs> I just have to hear this somehow, some way now. Well, you'll have to listen to the episode when it comes out. All right. And then you will hear this theme song, which, to be fair... Is perfectly fine, but no great shakes. Now, Leighton, last week you got mad when I threw to you. So, like, feel free to throw to me if you want, because... Uh, Dylan, what's popping? There we go. Okay, great. Jeez, well, it's like an NPR Freakonomics thing that I heard. I listen to NPR nowadays that I'm a little longer in the tooth, and I was just driving around doing some errands, I believe from a September Freakonomics podcast, and you can find it online in key in the word Freakonomics and Duopoly. And the thing was, is they were taking a perspective of our American political system. The overall thesis was that the common phrase that you hear, like, this system is broken, but it's working exactly how it's supposed to be. And they sort of dive into that idea of uh, our political parties as a duopoly system. Basically, that, you know, a duopoly is something like we're two titans of the industry seemingly compete against each other, but honestly, because of competition, they end up insulating their power and gathering up resources for the both of them and sort of kind of keep each other as vibrant competitors as opposed to like taking each other down. Coke and Pepsi is like a very easy one to describe and such. But there's an uh, an economist, I believe maybe it's from Harvard, and then this woman who was like a former, uh, she grew up conservative and then later in life in some capacity to the Obama administration and some international affairs. And she became frustrated with just working for the administration as she tried to propose different things to do. She started to realize, like, uh, it doesn't seem that Washington is interested in addressing policies 
as they are about uh, winning the overall political war. And just this idea that, just like you were saying earlier, Brian, how we were talking even with media, is that we've come to this place where our political system gives us two choices, a Republican or Democrat, and that instead of dealing with the guts of what needs to be done, like building a highway or making uh, policy changes about the environment, things that people care about very much so on both sides of healthcare, things that people really care about, it's like, do I win or do you lose? This person's destroying the world. This person's, yeah. this other person's destroying the world. Everything is points. Exactly. And so it's just this really interesting take. In a way, you say, it gave me hope. You know, if anyone follows Point of Booty or whatever, it's just pretty obvious like where I might be leaning in the spectrum. So when I might be dismayed about the results of like, you know, dude, things have been so messed up and how could this huge swath of the population be like, no, we're totally down with the way things are going. I try to think about this idea of we're in a system where they're like, well, this shit sucks. Well, that shit sucks even worse. They're like, they're going to destroy the world. And I just can't stop thinking about it because there are a lot of people that want to get things done on a local level. Even it's becoming difficult to be on one side or the other when it's like, we have a pothole in the street. I have a friend, uh, that works in the city government of Gary, Indiana, which is a post-industrial town, very sort of like a Flint, Michigan, if you would. Yep. And, you know, we did a show in Chicago a couple of years ago and stayed at his house. And Josh, he just loves to go in town and he's like, let me go on Zillow and see how much houses cost here because we live in California where it's impossible to ever buy a house. <laughs> and he's like, oh my God, I found a house for like $10,000. And he told my friend that and he's like, 10,000. He's like, we have a program where you can pay a dollar and have a house. What? Yeah, literally. They're giving houses away because these places are just sort of barren and yeah. no one wants to live there. Electricity might not get there. Water might not get there. So when you, he was trying to make policies to like, how do we address these zoning laws to maybe open up, blah, blah, blah. People would be like, don't take my constitutional right. Like, you know, just legitimately like, let me just spitball some ideas. Like you get, you know, people that are, you know, so politically charged that you can't even talk about how do we help this one specific thing. Well, and if you fix a problem, then it's a win for your side. So we can't let you fix the problem. That's exactly because it. Because then your side will get the point. And that's so fucked up. And so they go throughout, do a diagnostics of like how we got here and how um, things that feed into this. So it's all self-serving. So when the media reports about like, ooh, Trump gets smashed by Biden and like, oh, dear. Biden totally crushed by the Trump administration. Like they are also perpetuating this idea of like, keep the scorecard going. The least meaningful word in the English language these days is annihilated. <laughs> and it's a good word. It's a really good word. And now it's just completely lifeless. Well, it's like the only acceptable usage is like, I just annihilated that Denny's chocolate chip pancake. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Way to give it up for Denny's. Well, that's awesome, dude. That sounds really interesting. So that was a Freakonomics on Duopoly? Freakonomics, Duopoly, they kind of go through the dynamics of what to, how they got here, but they also kind of do some interesting, like, here's how we might be able to change it, you know, rate choice voting, redistricting, all that kind of stuff to perhaps, like, eat away at this insane political divide that we have that is going to be to be overcome to have anything happen in this country. Yeah. So um, there you go. My really boring, what's popping take for you. By the way. Ranked choice voting everywhere. Make it a thing everywhere. End of story. Yep. Did Alaska just pass it? I think Alaska just passed ranked choice voting. It's possible. I know it's like maybe Maine does it. Maine does it. 
it, it, it's seeing a few places. Oakland does rank choice voting for mayor and such. It, it helps break apart that system just a little bit. I guess my synopsis is just like, hopefully we can trust each other again, one another across the political spectrum that we really want to help each other. And I know that's hard when people feel like their lives are threatened and that's a whole other talk for another day, but um, give it a listen. Cool. Yeah, that sounds great. Uh, Brian, what's popping? Well, actually, it's a, it is a podcast for me too. What's popping with me is it's a podcast I really like that was basically on hiatus for the last year and now is back. It's called Rationally Speaking. And it's actually kind of in line with the stuff Dylan's talking about. So the host is Julia Galef, and she is a Bay Area-based, I guess, rationalist. Like She's more on the like kind of econ public policy side of things, which is great because I don't know a lot about it. But she gets these really interesting people who are, you know, not, not typically people I hear on other podcasts. Some of them skew a bit more conservative than a lot of the stuff I listen to, but nothing anyone says is like damaging. It's more like about economic stuff or evolutionary psychology or things like that. She does a great job of asking super insightful, interesting economics, policy-based psychology questions and really investigating the, the evidence. So for example, this week, first episode in like a year or something like that, the question was, are boomers to blame for the economic problems that millennials have and pretty much any millennial would be like yeah duh of course but if you really look into it it's not obvious that that statement is true like how do you define those things first of all how could you say that if the boomers are part of a voting body that they're more to blame than other people it's questions like this that she does these deep dives via interviews into so mm-hmm. I think she's great. I think the podcast is great. Rationally speaking, I highly recommend it. That's awesome. Neat. Layton, what's popping? What is popping for me is a third podcast. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is a three-podcast three pop? I don't think we've ever gotten a three-pod pop. Damn. Yeah. It's uh, Behind the Bastards, which is hosted by Robert Evans, uh, formerly of Cracked, mm. uh, which I don't know about y'all, but like in middle school, early high school, cracked was my shit it is in a sorry state right now but in in its heyday it was really wonderful anyway but the podcast is each episode or each series is about like a terrible person (laughs) (laughs) so i listened to all five six episodes about mark zuckerberg so good so well researched perfect amount of funny like just great like guests really entertaining i started listening to the series on um james dobson of focus on the family which is like the christian yeah media conglomerate but yeah i've just been super enjoying it it's super fun to find a new podcast it gives you a bunch of things to be pissed about and i could (laughs) start rattling off the mark zuckerberg shit that makes me mad but the detail that keeps jangling around in my skull is that um He's obsessed with dictators and emperors and especially Augustus Caesar, which is why he has that dipshit haircut, because he wants to look like Augustus Caesar. And <laughs> wow. he named his daughter August after Augustus Caesar. Whoa. So, yeah, he just wants to be the little boy king of his internet empire. And, um, that shit. God, why do I waste my time with that shit? Damn it. Yeah, yeah, I know. There's, um, I guess my secondary what's popping is I've been watching like a ton of Whitest Kids You Know sketches. I never watched the show when I was on. Very funny. Very funny. <laughs> so fucking good. 
gotta check this out. This sounds good. Yeah, because you know, uh, not related to current situation at all. Like I had only seen a few things, and the one where it's just like Trevor sitting facing the camera, like it's super illegal to go on television and say, I want to kill the president. Um, and it just keeps escalating. I, I just was thinking about that and then just sort of went on a hold. And so now all my YouTube recommendations are why does kids, you know, sketches. And it's, it's just great. They're especially good at like a thing where a lot of sketch comedy fails, where you do the bit and then they drive the bit into the ground. But with them, it's like, they know how to find the bit beyond the bit, which I really respect. Yes. That's my secondary what's popping. So we had a three pop pod, three pod pop. Cool. Shall we move on to peaches and lemons? Absolutely. Yes. So welcome to peaches and lemons, which is the gratitude exercise segment that was sort of like the first hour of this podcast, but this is the (laughs) formal version uh, where we'll each go around and we'll each share three peaches, which are things that we're grateful about, excited for, can be really little and petty or they can be really big and great or like deep, but as of last week, because we made a promise that if Biden won, we would start doing lemons again, because for a majority of this podcast, we've been in quarantine and, you know, we're like, well, we've got enough lemons. So we've reintroduced lemons as a very petty grievance. Um, I feel like it worked pretty well last week going around and each sharing a lemon and then diving into peaches, right? I agree. Okay, cool. So we'll each share a lemon. I got one. I can do my lemon first. This is so petty. Good. I was cleaning a cast iron skillet yesterday. And uh, as I was scraping it out, we'd cook something that kind of charred a little bit in it. I dumped a bunch of like pan crap and oil onto my clothes. Yeah. (sighs) But being a smart person, I washed them immediately. But being a stupid person, I didn't put any stained stuff on them. So all I did by washing them was cause that shit to set. Oh, and no. now my Weird Al in 3D t-shirt, which uh. got reprinted because of Stranger Things. So it's not like a legit vintage thing. It's from a couple of years ago or whatever. Now has giant oil stains on the bottom. And I'm quite bummed out about it because love Weird Al, love that t-shirt. Don't like that it has big streaky oil stains on it. And it's my own stupid fault for scraping the pan <laughs> towards myself. So oil's the worst. At least you didn't get on your pants though, because then it looks like you have like spittle on your pants at all at all time. Well, Dylan, let me tell you a story. <laughs> <laughs> I did get it on my pants as well. No! But the stain is slightly less noticeable there, luckily, because they're like they were jeans and you know, it, it was just a couple of blobs, but all right. They're definitely oil-stained, so... You'll get some funny looks, but that's all right. It's fine. Pour one out for Brian's clothing. (laughs) Y'all for real. real. Uh, Dylan, what do you got? I'm glad we got some big stuff out of the way, because I was like, I don't know how not to say anything. I'm going (laughs) to fuck, why can't we come together? But uh, what what I came up with is, uh, for my lemon... Olives. Fuck olives. I'm going to tell you what? olives. No. Get out. I'm going to tell you olives. Get out of my pasta. Yeah. Get out of my motherfucking pizza. Get out of my bread. I'm going to hang up on you. Get out of here. This breaks my heart. Olive oil is fine because it's like the I'm just squeezing your existence out and using the like life juice for other things. But like olives, man, 
come on now. I, there's nothing worse than having like some like, oh, here I got this fresh pizza and you smell it. And I got to look at those things or try, like even I try to remove like Greek olives, especially. What? They just ruin everything around them. Everything. Just fuck, fuck you olives. I love you, Layton. I love you, Brian, but fuck you olives. I respect your opinion, but this hurts me. You're describing this and like my mouth, at any mention of olives, my mouth immediately floods with saliva. Like it's a Pavlovian response where I'm like, mm, Castelva yeah. Like I love them in pasta, love them in I pizza, agree. love eating them straight up. Uh, Heaven on earth is a Whole Foods olive bar. Yeah. I, I am strongly pro-olive. However, I am aggressively anti-caper. Okay. Interesting. We can meet up there because I'm also against capers, but uh, I know we had a very positive and we shared a lot today and we got deep and got inspirational. So I hope that doesn't sour everything, but still I hold strong. No, we are united because we are respecting each other's opinions. See, here we are. Even if they are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Even when those opinions are manifestly stupid. When I was a kid, I called capers dead flies because I genuinely thought that's what they were. I say that as a caper liker, a caper sympathizer. I can deal with like one caper in a thing. Wow. All right. I I feel like I made a lot of enemies today. I'm sorry, everyone out there. That lemon really soured. You have to fuck me. (laughs) Boom. Don't indulge that. Well, we won't indulge it, but it's your turn to clear the air. Okay. So, you know, I, I try not to really like go places lately. Like I will go to a walk-up coffee place, but you know, I'll do my Starbucks drive through and give a fat tip to the sweet people there who are always excited to see maybe because she sits on my lap. But if, it's just triggering a long-term thing of when you are in a drive through line and people look at their phones and then all the cars move up and they stay there because they're looking at your phone in the pettiest way, it makes me so angry because what are you going to do? Honk at them? Then you have to sit behind them and they're going to be pissed at you because they weren't paying attention. Then you're a monster if you honk at them. But I also don't want to get, like, my window's probably down. I'm probably listening to music. And, like, my usual reaction when people do dumb shit in traffic and I forget that my window is down is just being like, oh, yeah, yeah, please go slower. Please go slower. Oh, do me a favor and just go a little bit slower. And like, I really have to rein that impulse in because it's like, oh, I know they'll hear me, but I also don't want to be like, dick, pull up. Like, there's just no good way to handle it other than just getting like irate over nothing. So that's, that's my lemon. All you can really do when you're driving just in general and someone does something stupid is ignore it and move on. I mean, unless they're going to cause an accident where you have to alert people. If people cut you off or whatever, the only like sensible choice, really, and I'm not saying I do this every time because sometimes I get mad, but what I have become better at is being like, you know what? That's none of my business. I just got to move on from this and deal with my own shit. Well, I'm not going to direct it at them, but am I going to sit in my car and quietly roast them? Yes, of course I am. Well, sure. Oh, yeah. There's this move that in the Bay Area, because people are uh, absurdly passive aggressive here in the Bay Area, and people drive their nice fancy Teslas in their cars, and just like traffic is always horrible around here, and people pull the weirdest moves, like they try to switch over many lanes, like try to get in front of you for like, you know, maybe getting somewhere a second earlier than you do and I just make funny voices there's a phrase that I have like when you can tell it's like some sort of like (laughs) eevee person and then it's I have my I'm doing this I'm doing this and then I cut in front of you (laughs) I just I just I try to just I try to just characterize that and make myself feel better by you know making them feel Uh, I'm gonna steal that (laughs) I'm doing this I'm doing this but by the way real quick we're gonna move on to peaches now but why would anyone ever own a Tesla 
Come the fuck on. Yeah, what are you doing? Come on. They're not reliable cars. They're better electric cars. Get an electric car. Strongly pro-electric cars. Don't waste your fucking money on a stupid status symbol that's going to break. Yeah. Don't give Elon Musk and his demon spawn yeah. money. Oh, yeah. oh for yeah. real. Fuck that dude. Fucking Damn it. baby Moog synth, but with none of the cool things about a Moog synth. <laughs> um, anyway, let's do peaches. Would anyone like to start with peaches? I actually wrote mine down for once, so I'm ready. Yeah, do it. Go it. Okay. I prepared. I did the bare minimum. First one, thing I mentioned, uh, got to do a nice distance deck hang with Aaron and Susie and Brent and just like, nice. that shit's healing. We had like a nice, like, obviously doing a ton of bits, having a good time, but like also just had like a really deep, meaningful conversation. And like, I truly think that's along with like making stuff and petting my dog, like it is truly just like one of the greatest joys to have a really long, like interesting, meaningful, emotionally connecting conversation. Like really, what else do we have? And so that was great. And we were eating olives. (laughs) Damn, why did you want a a perfectly good night? Wow. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then literally my heart out at three is uh, Will Wiesenfeld, former guest on this podcast. Uh, A year ago, he taught me how to use Ableton. Yes. And because I'm trying to put together like an LP right now. Yeah. Yeah. We're having another little uh, training session. I'm going to learn how to side chain and learn what the fuck sends and returns are. Fuck so yeah. excited about that. Um, and then my third one is just like a, a much more vague one. I know mine are usually really petty. Like I ate sandwich or I got <laughs> keyboard, but this one is just like, I don't know. I'm, I'm having a really difficult time right now. And like, I feel lower than I felt probably like, the whole pandemic through a combination of like a lot of shit happening at once. But um, my friends and have just been like so insanely supportive and I have a hard time like accepting care from others or like believing that people like me. And for the first time, I'm not sure what it is about it, but like I finally am starting to trust that like the people who I care about also care about me. Like it's starting to feel safe to accept that and feel that. And so like- Good. I can't even articulate what a powerful thing it is like for pretty much the first time in my life to be like, oh, yeah, if people didn't want to like hang out with me, they just wouldn't hang out with me. (laughs) Um, Yes. And that like I can believe people and, you know, that stuff. Shit's rough, but it's just nice to have like a five hour phone call with friends and making each other laugh and being supportive. So I'm just like really, really grateful for that bright spot right now. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Dylan, do you want to get this up? Sure. I'll start off small and uh, hopefully maybe win back some of you guys' approval. This is just a simple thing that's come back into my life. Uh, I've rediscovered Nutter Butter Cookies. I'm just going to go ahead and say there's versions that are double stuffed now. It's a double stuffed (gasps) Nutter Butter Cookies. So again, simple joy in life. I have been very happy to be reintroduced to those things. Sometimes you pop them in the freezer. I'm just saying, <gasps> let's just think about it. Just put that into your Rolodex of ideas to try to make life a little bit easier when shit's fucking raining down on you. I had never considered putting them in the freezer. I had no idea they were double stuffed Nutter Butters. Nutter Butters are my shit. Also, recommend getting like um, marshmallow fluff cream. Dip Nutter Butters in it. Okay. Wow. All right. Okay. So here we go. That's fantastic fodder for more joy to come. The next thing I will say, we'll start getting just increasingly into bigger things. So as we talked about, I've got my little guy, Marlon, and he loves like he, he loves funky music. Uh, you know, it's in his blood and it is in his soul. And so it's been a joy to <laughs> introduce him. Like literally I'll just be like today, like he can name, like he can name on cue Prince. He can name Stevie Wonder, James Brown. Like he yells, he's like, James Brown. 
the other day, I was just like, holy shit. You got to know who Aretha Franklin is, man. My brother works for Google and he gave me a little thing. I'm like, hey, Google put on Aretha Franklin and the Chain of Fools came on. Oh, yes. He started yelling, good song, good song. And like, the thing is like, (laughs) I, I love Aretha Franklin, but like I had this moment of like, it felt like I was listening to her for the first time, or just sometimes when I listen to music, like mm-hmm. with him, I, I like listen to it with new ears. And I just literally just, I just started crying because I'm like, this is so fucking good. And this song is so fucking like it just the way it moves your body and uh, just dancing around with my little child in my kitchen. I don't know. It was a gift from the gods and just funky soul me like Sam and Dave or like Ray Charles or Wilson Pickett's land of a thousand dances. I don't know when the last time you guys have heard that song. Oh, yeah. The fact that there's music in the world that just is made to just inject straight into your veins and make you feel the expressiveness of life. Like, thank you to the universe for that. And thank you for my child to help me experience in that. And then the third piece I will say is, um, so I did just move. Uh, I just moved to a new uh, place with my partner, Sam and Marlon. And it's one of these things that, again, I feel so blessed and so lucky to be in such a shit time and a shit year with people who are going through so many terrible things that we got a place that has like a little backyard. I'm actually sitting in like a little tiny like former tool shed where I have all my instruments set up. Uh-huh. Raising a kid is it's, it's a set of responsibilities and each your time away. I've had a lot of time to dedicate to myself and like singing and playing the trumpet and dancing and writing music, you know, and granted, like I'm literally, I find myself like I had to water the lawn now and shit. And it's kind of a weird thing mm-hmm. to, be, to be like, I once was in a stage in front of hundreds of people and like I'm wearing jean shorts and I got like a man bun on and stuff. And so it feels a little strange, but I'm so thankful to be in this place, uh, to have this space, to have this family and to be able to have a moment to try to improve upon myself. And hopefully when all this is over, I'm going to come out like a goddamn rocket ship. <laughs> Layton, I'm going to come up to you and I'm going to give you the biggest, sweatiest hug that you've ever had in your goddamn life. <laughs> and we're going to laugh and we're going to say life is fucking crazy. But you know what? We got each other and I'm just thankful for that. I'll just add a fourth peach of just being able to have this opportunity to talk to y'all. Wow. Uh, seriously, it gives me life. It gives me uh, energy. And you can just tell by how I'm excited right now. It gives me so much joy. So thank you for letting me have this moment. Dude, thank you for being here. I, I was like in yeah. a shit mood coming into this, but I, I feel a lot better right now. <laughs> what did I say before we got on? I said, this is going to be yep. total positivity. It's going to be a great episode. <laughs> Because this dude is positive. Yeah, and it has been. I feel like I can't follow that. So I'm just going to run through mine real quick because they're all pretty small. Number one, bought new games for our recently unearthed Wii, Super Paper Mario and Donkey Kong Country Returns, which is, oh my God, Super Paper Mario has a few too many cutscenes, let's just say, interminable text, but is very fun (laughs) as a cool 2D, 3D thing. Uh, And Audrey has... Uh, been playing the fact that you can play as Peach is very exciting. <laughs> so she insists on switching to Peach whenever possible, and then just walking around and being Peach, which is very cute. A second is I saw an amazing streamed classical concert this past week. My, my friend Albion, who's a theoretical physicist, we wrote one, two, one paper together back in the day. He's a professor at Brandeis uh, and shares with me a love of modern classical music. He told me about this stream that the New England Conservatory, NEC, was doing where they had some really great composers on. 
It was a streamed live event, not archived. You can't see it anymore. Don't even look. Uh, <laughs> but it had two of my favorite composers, uh, Chelsea, who's a, this weird Italian 20th century dude who worked a lot with microtones. Pitches are held out for a long time and slowly made sharper or flatter. And it's very contemplative and odd. And I really love it. But the more interesting piece was a John Cage piece. John Cage, a very famous 20th century composer who used chants and all sorts of weird shit in his work. And one of the pieces they played include, it was called Child of Tree from 1975. And it included an amplified cactus where the spines were played with a stick and the cactus was hooked up to an amp. And for some reason, because I'm an idiot, I thought it was going to sound like a thumb piano or something like that. I mean, that would be my guess. Right. But no, they're not metallic enough. It sounded just like, like kind of dull. But the whole point of this work was to include materials from plants. So the guy was like shaking dried tree branches and, I love uh, that. Getting wood blocks and stuff like that. That's awesome. I'm sure there are performances of it online. So look for John Cage, Child of Tree. The, the program was great too. It had a couple other composers whose names I don't have in front of me, but I didn't know either of them. Uh, two female contemporary composers. One of them had this amazing oboe piece, which was just wild. Anyway, and the final peach is that I was outside Audrey's room yesterday and I came in and without asking permission, she was listening to NSP songs. Oh, yes! Which ones? Well, she she was listening to Danny, Don't You Know. It's good to me. And it was very, very cute, but I had to tell her, I said, honey, you have to ask before you listen to what she calls Daddy Danny songs. Uh, Because some of them are not for children. Hard boner, come on, hard boner? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, she was listening to that album. She was listening to Cool Patrol. And she was like, no, but D-A-N-N-Y, he is not afraid to cry. And I was like, I know, honey, I know you love that song, but we just have to make sure that it's the the child-friendly version. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just very, very cute to have a kid. And and Dylan, you're going to have this too, like a kid who is listening to your music. You will have a similar problem to the one I have where you make music that is definitely not child friendly. (laughs) Um, And I constantly ride this line of like, oh, I really wanted to listen to my music. But generally speaking, we've hit upon the strategy of fuck it and just let her listen to more or less whatever and distract her when swear words are coming up. But the intention of it and the place that it comes from, like if she would see a show of yours, like even though there might be words and concepts that are like, yikes, yes, the energy of it, you can feel the place that it comes from and the atmosphere in which it, it, it's derived from. hundred percent. So, you know, it's all heart. So that's, that's beautiful. That is beautiful. It really is special to have a kid who loves my music and constantly requests it. Um, and in fact, we'll sneak into her room and listen to it on her own without asking. <laughs> God, I just love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Dylan, thank you so fucking much for being here with us today. I mean, this has been like a true joy. Yeah, this was awesome. Where can people find you on social media? Is there anything you want to plug? Yeah, Planet Booty on everything, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. We do have a Twitch channel now. We do live streams, Spotify, do all that shit. But, uh, you know, obviously 
The only thing I want to plug is just live your fucking best life, even though it's hard and even though it's difficult. Just know that we are all, everyone around you is struggling, but everyone around you also wants love. So give it when you can and receive it when you can as well. So uh, thank you so much. It's been a, a, a true honor, Leighton and Brian. You were wonderful people and, and thanks for shining your light into the world. No, dude, it was a pleasure to have you here and it's just nice to have the opportunity to catch up. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. man. Well, I cannot possibly top the good vibes of that. That was the perfect sign off. So everyone, this is the end of the podcast. Goodbye. Bye. Peace. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com.